Welcome to Jack Theology. I'm Dr. Matt Murphy with my friend, Dr. Kevin Young. It's good to finally be back, back with you again, good, man. It feels like it's been... Uh, it feels like it's been an eternity, if I can make a hell joke, <laughs> since we've been together. <laughs> it has been eternal conscious torment being away from you, Matt. Yeah, it has been. Uh, both of us had some travels and some family events, and so we are back. You're back. Better, Better than, than ever. ever. That's right. Matt and Kevin 2.0. Here we go. Um, today, we want to tackle the issue of hell and talked about some jacked theology behind it, or maybe our, our theology behind it is jacked. Who knows? I'm glad um, you chose an easy one it's for an us to get back into. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it's an important topic because I think our view on hell uh, dictates a lot of how we live, uh, how we view the world, um, and how we view th theology. Um, I think I think it's a foundational foundational uh theological discussion so i mean it certainly was growing up today. i don't i don't know how you grew up man but i mean hell i think everything seemed to center around hell everything rotated around that doctrine and that that topic now i grew up you know independent fundamental baptist uh, where everybody was going to hell but us and we weren't even sure about the people who were sitting next to us, you know, <laughs> in the pews. We were pretty sure they were going to hell too. Um, under our theology, I don't know that anybody was was going to heaven. Uh, but it, you know, it's yeah. it's amazing kind of how pervasive in some contexts, and mine was one. You know, hell really was. And so I think it is an important topic to get right because it's really deeply embedded in evangelicalism and in a lot of evangelicals. Yeah, I think, um, it, you know, even as, uh, as a kid, I grew up in similar kind of environments where the pressure to pray the sinner's prayer was, was pervasive because you didn't want to end up in hell, right? So you prayed um, it all the so time. If you pray this prayer, yeah, I, 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 uh, I, yeah, dozens of times I raised my hand to pray the sinner's prayer. Because it was a fear, right? I mean, you were you were afraid of yeah. hell. Like yeah. it wasn't so much I wanted to go to heaven. It's like I didn't want to go to hell. Yeah, I don't want to go there. Um, you know, then my teen years, I can remember being at youth camps and stuff where they do the same thing. And I remember this one speaker. I think it was like Ron Cruz. He he did like the acquire the fire. I don't. Yeah, know, that's right. I do remember him. And he used to tell this story about how he probably did it at every venue, like how this couple, this teenage couple drove home after his event and were in a car accident and, and died. And, you know, are, are you sure that you're going to heaven? If you left here today and died in a car accident, like that couple did, are you going to heaven? And so of course, everybody in the event would go forward to pray the prayer and sign the card, um, that you prayed the prayer. Um, yeah. There was a lot of fear. Uh, it was very fear-based. Um, you know, our our, vis our visuals of hell were definitely like the fire, right? You know, to end up in the lake of fire and burn for all of eternity. Yeah, um, I mean, I could remember growing up, there were dramas, you know, musicals, um, Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames, or something was one of them. I yeah. remember as a kid in Sunday yeah. school, uh, they would they would build like these black box you know puppet shows that where the puppets were in hell and so it was like all black light and neon 
you know. And the puppets were like burning in hell. And it's like, you know, when I look back on this as an adult, I'm like, this is this is probably not okay to be doing this to children. Even if you believe in the doctrine of of, of hell and you know, sinner's prayer and salvation and all of these things, the way we use it to motivate decisions may may be questionable at best. Yeah. Yeah, un- un- the, uh... maybe unhealthy <laughs> maybe psychologically traumatizing and, and I mean I guess that that was the thing you know with the choir of the fire and all these things was there there was a intentional psychological trauma that you were hoping to create within the person in order to keep them away from trauma it's like where's the boundary there between acceptable teaching and just awful awful deplorable motivation morality was always tied to it too so if you lived a certain way then you were going to go to hell right so it was a a fear-based uh behavioral modification as well so if you were i I can remember we did one of those scare houses you know that you do um, (laughs) around halloween we We called it hell house Yeah. yeah And you said all these kids drinking and smoking, right? And then they get in a car accident. And they were die really bad kids too, drinking and smoking. Yeah, and they were all in they hell. Deserve, they deserve to die and go to hell for drinking and smoking. I mean, but think about it, right? I mean, this is this is what it was, right? These were the bad kids, the kids who were smoking and drinking, and they're very much going to end up in hell for that. So. uh Let's scare the hell out of them. Yeah, and I think it's 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 gone to today. Um, some of the stuff we see online ex- experience, you know, with well, if your morality doesn't line up with way, the way I see morality going, then you're you're going to hell. Um, and so Christians put that on, you know, the LGBTQI community, and uh, we we see we see that. Uh, I see that pervasively online. Like, and we even get told we're going to hell because we support those communities. Um, yeah. And, and I, so I, just supporting. Yeah. If your morality doesn't match mine, you're going to hell. You know, the, and the hell is, hell is the ultimate smackdown. You know, hell is the ultimate conversation ender. It's, it's the ultimate, hell is the ultimate middle finger, you know, to somebody who you disagree with. You know, because there's like, okay, you're going to hell. You know, so so now I feel good about hating you, and you should feel bad about being wrong. And we apply that. I see that applied to every single issue around. Like not even not even the big litmus test, but but the small things. It, it's it's a thing, and it's saying yeah. that it's tied to morality. I think is is really insightful because I've always kind of wondered what is what is this? Why are we why are we using hell in this way and i i think you're i think you're onto something there well fear is a powerful motivator um you know it's it's uh it's powerful I, in co- in the coaching world there's um um there's you know two schools of thought i guess even parenting too but schools of thought of like do you motivate your players based on fear or do you motivate your players based on encouragement and you know joy um, of being more uplifting as a coach. Um, and even there's the show out, you know, what the, the soccer show, uh, Ted Lasso, um, 
I, I think it, it encapsulates that that dichotomy. Yes. Like he he resists uh, a fear based motivation, and in fact, one of the recent episodes I was watching, they um, they actually depicted the assistant coaches kind of took over and, and created a fear based uh, way of of coaching, and it didn't work, of course. Um, and so Lasso um, kind of is the opposite of that, which. Um, I think, you know, that the church could learn something from that, especially those who, who tend to preach a, a fear-based gospel. Um, and then it connects back to the, this idea we talked, we've talked many times on this, on this podcast about a, a wrathful, vengeful God who wants to send uh, these immoral humans to, to hell for eternity and burn in hell. Um, and so then that's the view of God. Uh, and so a lot of people uh, leave uh, the faith because of that. Um, I think it be, hell is like probably the number one reason, at least I've seen people leave the faith and walk away from the faith. How could God, a loving God, do that? Um, yeah, it creates a lot of it creates a lot of dissonance, um, not just in theologies, but in in, in hearts and, and relationships with people. No one. No one is scared into a loving relationship with with anyone or anything. You know, no one is abused into a loving relationship. And, you know, I I think that it's sad and weird that Christians believe that the fear of hell is going to be a motivation for somebody to love God. It just it doesn't work that way in real life. It doesn't work that way in the animal kingdom. Fear is a powerful motivator, but it doesn't motivate you to love. It motivates you to obedience, but the Bible is clear that obedience is not relationship and is not love. So even under our own theologies, a motivation towards obedience that's fear-based from hell still doesn't rise to the level of salvific for the most fundamentalist evangelicals. Yeah. Yeah. Then you're you're going to fail. Um, well, not me, not but everybody else from, is going to fail. I'm perfect, Matt. <laughs> yeah, it's not coming from a intrinsic motivation. It's 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 very extrinsic, um, which is why you know, as a kid, you you intuit that you needed to pray the prayer over and over again because you didn't measure up, um, and so you know, um, it creates. It creates people that are, yeah, like you, you talked about it. Like they're really, I mean, I participated in that world for a long time. Like we emotionally abuse people is what we did. Um, I still see it in some of our folks today. And I think this goes, this is not just an evangelical issue. I think it's across Christendom, across tribes, you know, um, and I see it in people. They, they don't know how to experience grace. They don't know, like it, it makes them uneasy. Yeah. Uh, well, the, the, relation, the relationship between spousal abuse, you know, between abusive relationships, you know, in life and abusive relationships in in religion. I, I mean, that the, 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 the parallels are, are, are incredible. And, you know, the hard part is, 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 you know, you, you see this idea of abusive family relationships being continued through generations, you know, of kids who, who are raised in abusive environments, you know, statistically 
I, I, I think, you know, have a, a higher propensity to, to become abusers themselves and, and repeat that cycle for not knowing, you know, what a healthy relationship looks like. And I think we see this in religion as well. You know, why do people see and treat God in, in this way? You know, why do they use kind of this, this abusive hell metaphor in order to bully people into a relationship of love. Well, they, they do it because that's how they were brought into it. So we have this ongoing cycle of abuse in the church, in our theology on this topic that's perpetuating and people are continuing this cycle. We teach hell this way because we have been taught hell this way. And so we don't understand that it is foundationally an extremely toxic and abusive view of the spiritual world. Even, I'm going to say this, even for those of us who believe in a literal hell and its existence, the way we portray it and utilize it in order to motivate people is abuse. Amen. Preach. Yeah. I got a little totally. hot under. I got a. Totally. I, I'm not wearing a collar, but I get a little. I got a little hot under it right there. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're you're right. And, uh, and part, I mean, that's because I've seen it. I've been raised in it. Like you said, I've 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 done it. And when you walk back and you look at the way we teach these things and frame these things and what it says about God, um, you know, I, I, I'm sure we're going to get there. How this matches up to Scripture, you know, is one thing. But even take how it matches up. From scripture out of it, it doesn't paint a picture of a God or a Christian or a theology that in any way, shape, or form is anything other than abuse. And you can't explain it away theologically that it's abuse because it it is the way that we teach it and the way we motivate people to try to behave because of the existence of hell is is just it's it's deplorable. Um at best and at worst it's not even biblical yeah i mean it's um it allows for these churches a lot of the churches that are the hellfire and brimstone um you know i'm thinking of macarthur and and piper uh they they have opened the door for abusers in their church and covered up abuse because and our abusers uh, many uh, of them which i don't want to say that everybody who uh, espouses this this toxic theology is an abuser. But I'm going to tell you the number of pastors and churches, like you say, who harbor abusers, who look past it, who it eventually comes out that the pastors in those pulpits are abusers. There's, there's a, there's a correlation there in that abusive theologies are attractive to abusive people. Yeah. And so I, I think the, the argument the, the dialogue on hell has to start with the character of God. And I think um, we, when we look at God, his character, uh, it's, it's not one who's an abuser. I think that's important. Um, when we, when we, you know, one of the basic, you know, foundational pieces of the character of God is God is good. God is love. Right. Um, and so, would, and this is a question I get, would a loving God <laughs> burn his, burn people for all of eternity? Um, is that love? I, I think about it from my perspective as a father, uh, 
would I be okay with one of my children burning for all of eternity? <laughs> Absolutely not. So why, why would my character of love be greater than God's character of love? I, I, I can't get past that. I mean, that's, that's the question um, that we have to answer. And, you know, the Bible thumpers out there would be like, well, the Bible says and all this. And I, I think the, when you look at the scriptures uh, that talk about eternal torment and fire and all that, like it's an interpretation. So, and I think a lot of our, our interpretations are built on preconceived uh, notions. Um, most of the early church fathers uh, had a, had a, did not believe in an eternal conscious torment uh, version of hell. Um, and these were the early fathers who were like closest to the scriptures. Um, and, and so I think that's, there's something to be said about that. There's something I think to listen to that. Um, I don't want, I don't want, I I don't want that to, I don't want folks to miss that though. What you just said there is from the beginning, there has not been a unified voice on this aspect of the afterlife. I, I think that's important. You know, I think it's important for us to say this idea of the afterlife has been a topic of conversation, but hell in particular, eternal conscious torment has not been spoken of with a unified voice the entirety of the way through it, from the very beginning, even. Yeah. Um, I agreed. And, and, and well, you said and, it, and, I was uh, just agreeing with you. <laughs> I was just making sure it didn't get yeah. missed. But no, you, you dove deeper into that. It, it's, it's, there's not been a, like a unified. Yeah. Um, and, and so I, I think it's important that you do look at some of the early interpretations of some of those texts and, um, and Patric- they call it, you know, patristics and there, there's this, uh, you know, so some, some, some believe that there was, uh, you know, kind of annihilation. You just cease to exist. Um, some it's essentially right. The Jewish belief, was, right. If I'm, if I'm correct, mo- most Jews believe. Yeah. Essentially there's, there's nothing. That was, it's, it's annihilation. That's like the, probably the predominant view of maybe of, of what hell would be. Um, if you choose, if you, if you didn't choose, the love of God, um, you know, to, to, to walk in his kingdom for eternity, you just would cease to exist. Um, and then there was, you know, obviously a lot of early church fathers who were, you know, what we would say universalists. Um, you know, I, I think a better term because sometimes universalism, um, it, 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 can has, ha- it has bad connotations to it. So, like, hopeful inclusion is a, is a phrase that I've heard um, that we're hopeful that God's going to include all people. Um, and, I mean, we have some language. Redemption. I mean, we have language around that. You know, every nation, every tribe, every tongue, um, all every knee shall bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So, you know, it's not, it's not as though there is, even the fundamentalists, you know, growing up extremely fundamentalists, a lot of our language use this language of all and and every. And so, you know, it's not as though this idea that every person will come to faith in, in Christ and, and there will be no need for eternal conscious torment. This isn't this isn't extra biblical. This isn't putting um, some sort of culturally desirable theology to avoid 
plummet over top of the Bible. They're, they're really legitimate spaces and places in scripture that indicate this is a potential outcome in the afterlife, just as equally, if not more so than, than the strength of the opposite argument of there being eternal conscious torment. So I, I, again, I don't want folks to like rush past what you just said there. Uh, there's a lot of support for all and every, if we're willing to open our mind and, and look at, if we're willing to say to ourselves, I, I, I want to be certain of, or as certain as I can be of what the Bible says and doesn't say about the afterlife. If we're, if we're going to legitimately say, I want to at least hear what all sides have to say, you, you have to admit that the Bible does give some support to things beyond eternal conscious torment and maybe maybe even more support yeah yeah i i think too it's important that as we um as we read the scriptures that we have guides that guide us and and i think it's healthy that you have guides that don't always just believe what your tribe says to believe right um that there is other ways to read and interpret scriptures <laughs> yeah what um and i I should listen to the heretics. I think people have to. Yeah. What is a heretic? It's somebody who disagrees uh, with what I think. That's that's a heretic. What's a wolf in sheep's yeah, clothing? It's yeah. somebody who teaches things that I disagree with. Yeah. It, 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 we've got to get away from like this flat reading of you know the plain reading of a of a scripture text in English that somebody with their own theological viewpoints has has translated for you. Um, I think you've got to get away from that. You've got to start reading others, uh, have a more robust, holistic view of things. And, and so I want to be clear too, that I, I would consider, I'm just going to, you know, say up front, like I'm a hopeful inclusive, inclusivist. I'm a, I believe an ultimate redemption. Uh, but I'm not denying orthodox, like, orthodoxy uh, um, I'm not denying the problem of sin I'm not denying uh, the necess- you know Jesus's incarnation and the necessity of that the cross or the resurrection the ascension even even the judgment seat I'm I'm not denying any of that I believe that those are all to be true but I think all of those things happen and the process happens to include us all in redemption Um yeah, one key thing too to understand. So when we think about, I think the character of God, God is love. Um, for me, that that ends the conversation with eternal conscious torment. You could argue a certain type of hell, like maybe well because God is love, and if you aren't someone who lived a life of love, and and you don't want to experience love, and when you're in God's presence when you're in the presence of love, that could be a certain kind of hell for you. Um, or maybe there's a, there's a hell on earth, right? There's a, you just create your own hell because you don't operate in love as God did. But I don't think a loving God is ever going to eternally torment and torture you. Um, to me, that's, it's completely unchristian. It's unbiblical. Pagan. It's, you know, paganism it's a like we talked about earlier abusive god is not those things um god isn't evil and it has no purpose right 
torment, eternal torment, what's the purpose of that? There's no purpose other than to unleash pain. Um, and you're not going to sell me. And I, I know in that those tribes, people try to sell that, that that's, that's God loving you by tormenting you forever. Um, it's just simply not true. I think, I think we have, we have to, we have to address that. We can't ignore that. I know that's something that was ignored a lot growing up is like, you'd ask that question and you're just like, well, this is just what a loving God does. It's like, no, nah, I don't think so. Um, so one of the key arguments too for this, because there is a lot of language, you know, judgment seat, there's, there's language of punishment, there's language of, of fire. Um, one of the best arguments I've heard, and David, David Bentley Hart kind of in his book, That All Shall Be Saved, uh, fleshes this out some. But this idea that God is a consuming fire, that um, when, we're at, when we're before the judgment seat of Christ, uh, his fire will consume us. And so uh, we will be consumed by that fire. Um, and all of, our, all of our life will be kind of before God. Um, and so when we are unloving, um, that will be before God. That Because some pushback to this ultimate redemption is, well, actually abusers on in this earth, uh, you know, people that have done really bad things like, you know, Hitler comes to mind or or those that led in the apartheid, how, don't they deserve to be punished, right? Well, those people will, be, will, all of their acts of hate and violence and evil will be laid bare before a loving God. And there will be this, this moment of, of they'll feel that. They will feel that punishment. But there's this consuming fire will overwhelm them to repentance, to worship God as love. They won't be able to resist it, right? A, a good Calvinist should understand this, that we can't resist the grace and the love of God, right? And so that that consuming fire will overwhelm those folks and all of us uh, to just lay bare and repent and, and receive the love that God offers us. And so some, you know, early church fathers would argue that is hell, you know, that moment of being consumed by God's consuming fire of love as we're in the presence of ultimate love, we'll feel that kind of hell for moments or however long it is. And then we'll be ultimately redeemed, you know, by the love of God. Um, yeah. One of the things so yeah, that I think I is, um, well, I, I think, you know, to some people's ears, that's going to sound new to some people's ears that's going to sound intriguing and desirable and to some people's ears that's going to sound um, very completely opposite of, of everything that they think scripture says. And I think it's important for us whenever we're approaching topics in scripture, especially this topic in scripture to recognize that we see through, we see through a glass darkly at best, you know, the new Testament wasn't written in order to be a manual on the afterlife or to make it clear for us are, are, are there discussions and, and conversations from Jesus, from the apostles, from, from Paul, from revelation. Yeah, there, there are, and, and there's a good bit of it, but we're looking over the shoulders of the writers and the readers trying to understand what they say 2000 years removed from a totally different culture with translations, uh, you, you know, that 
at best are are decent and at worst are, are horrific. And we're inserting over top of those conversations 2,000 years of, of history, um, and it's hard for us to completely divorce ourselves from that. And my point simply being, it wasn't written in order to clear up for us what happens in the afterlife. Um, and most of the writers didn't care what happened in the afterlife. That wasn't the point of why they were writing. They were writing in order to help people understand what happened with this man, Jesus. And and they they didn't believe they were going to die. You know, they, they believed that they were going to be caught up and Jesus was going to come back. Um, and there would be there would be no need for this conversation about what happens after then, because they were they were going straight there with Jesus. So uh, I think we have to admit that, you know, David Bentley Hart's assessment of what this is can be just as valid as, you know, what I was taught, if not maybe more valid, if, if I'm really open to being honest about what's actually said and what isn't said and trying to separate what is actually said and what isn't said from 2,000 years of history, or more importantly, probably 200 years of extreme fundamentalism <laughs> in reaction to uh, liberal theology. So it's tough, but we've got to just kind of take what's there and be open-handed and say, I can make some gray assessments about what might be the case, but I can't be dogmatic on this. Yeah, <clears throat> well, what we can be dogmatic about, uh, I'll, I'll read a Bible verse for us. First uh, is the character of God, and I think, um, so I'll just read First John 4.18, says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. And so the, the hell we were taught, the hell that's predominant in Christendom is a fear-based hell that is a punishment. And here we say love is not fear and love is not, has nothing to do with, you know, the punishment. So I, I don't understand how we could justify, rectify our, that view of hell with this. Uh, maybe, maybe there's a, there's another way of, of, uh, you know, the afterlife where not all are saved. I, I, I don't see it. I don't see how that logically can be be argued. But I, yeah, I, I, I'm willing to hear it. But I'm going to be dogmatic <laughs> that the, the popular view of hell is not biblical. It is not in the character of God. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a useful, we talked about for, for, for a moralist, and Christians aren't called to be moralists. We're called to be, we're called to be like God. We're called to be holy. We're called to be loving. We're, we're called to not be abusers, not instill people with fear. Um, and so, uh, it just doesn't just doesn't add up. Well, I think you said something um, super biblical. That I mean, super biblical. Well, I think it's super biblical. But I think you also said something that was super important there. Um, that I caught, but I don't know if everybody caught, and that is. The, our, our view and understanding of hell is not a biblical view or understanding of hell. And I think, you know, that's most of us will, will hear that Matt just saying, well, it doesn't agree with what I think, but that's not, that's not true. I mean, there's, it's really not in question that what the mind conjures in the 21st century 
of hell is not at all what the Bible conjures whenever it speaks of hell. And the Bible doesn't even speak of hell. I, like, let's just be honest. Yeah, not in the way we have. But And you could find translations that will use eternal fire and, and stuff like that. Um, and I think the translations that use that, you know, are having translators with this this view of hell. And um, and so I'm sure that there's people out there that want to th- would throw those Bible verses a quick search. I just did it now while we were talking. Um, you know, there's a Gospel Coalition article about the top 10 verses of why it was it say 10 10 foundational verses verses for eternal punishment in hell. <laughs> you know, so y- you could find them. You could find them out there and you could you could argue with them, me about it. And I know all those verses and I I think they're poor interpretations of the original text. And I'm not a Greek scholar, so. Well, you don't have to be but necessarily a Greek scholar because the Bible never uses the word hell. And, and yeah. usually what we translate as hell, the Bible uses, what, what is it, four or five different words that, that we in English have traditionally translated as hell. There, there, there's not a word hell. And then there's not one word that we're translating as hell. There's like four or five. That, even that should be a clue to us that we have completely misunderstood what's going on in scripture that there are four very distinct different words that are used here that we're all taking to mean how i mean what, what, sheol um tataris gehenna um what i i forget what the the other one is i'm sure you've got written down somewhere but um, but you know and these are you know the the Jewish idea of Sheol is very different than the Greek idea of Tartarus is very different than the Jewish understanding of Gehenna is very different. Ah, Hades. Yeah, thanks, Reverend Rohn. I, I just saw it come up I over Hades, the comments yeah. over here. Yeah, thank you, uh, Hades. So, for, from the audience, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, Hades. <laughs> I forget Hades. I forget Hades. Yeah, that's funny. Well, yeah, so I mean, hard, just do a word, just do a uh, word study on these four words: Sheol, Hades, Tartarus, and Gehenna, and and these all have very specific meanings and understandings, at which many preachers and many folks who who have been taught a specific theology concerning hell have not been taught. There's a lot of nuance in Scripture behind this, and it doesn't it doesn't all mean the same thing whenever these words are used. Fortunately, modern translations are now beginning to kind of split off and, and use these words rather than just insert hell in there willy-nilly. But our mind, be, I'm sure you're playing on time, because of Dante and Dante's Inferno and, you know, the, all these middle age paintings so have this embedded cultural idea of what hell is that we, we don't hear or see any of these things in scripture because what we see is the cultural understanding of hell from Dante and, and the Middle Ages. And so we say, oh, you're, you're following culture by, by trying to avoid eternal conscious torment. No, you're the one who's following culture by ignoring what the Bible says and just taking at face value stuff that came along 700 to 1,000 years after the Bible was written. Yeah. Well, and that was used. Uh, Dante Inferno, you're right, is how we get the eternal lake of fire uh, concept. Um 
from his painting that was, you know, commissioned by the church, I, I believe, so that they could control the people. They were looking for ways to control the people. And here's how you control them. If, if they don't listen to what we say, you're going to go to this lake of fire. Um, and we still do that today. It still happens today. I, I heard a quote or read a quote. I wrote it down. Um, I think it was Brad Jerzak that said that if we can end moralism, then hell will go with it. Um, because it's it's this lake of fire, eternal conscious torment uh, view of hell is used to control the people, manipulate, abuse, fill in a blank, so that they follow a certain set of, of moral code. And so if we could end this idea of behavioral modification, moralism, then I think there will be no need for that view of hell anymore. Um, I don't know that we were ever going to see that leave because um, there's a sense of security knowing um, that I'm safe and others are not uh, in a kind of our fleshly desire. I think it's always going to be here because we like to be part of the in group. Um, and we like, if there's an in group, then others need to be out. It's very like teenage thing, right? <laughs> Where you know, we never grow out of it. Do we're, we? in, we're we're part of the cool club, right? You always want to be part of the cool club. And to be a part of a cool club, there need, that means there needs to be an uncool club. And and you don't want to be part of the uncool club. And so, yeah, I think that's that's like the bottom line, what, what, what happens here. Um, and so for someone who's part of the cool club to hear that, oh, everyone might be part of the cool club, then that kind of for them waters it down. And so for me, I think <laughs> that's the way of God, right? God is everyone's part of his inner circle. Everyone's part of, uh, you know, the cool club, the in group. And uh, I think that's the beauty of the gospel. Um, whether you're a jerk, whether you're loving, whether you're evil, uh, whether um, you're, you're seeking to love uh, as God loved us, uh, all are welcome at Christ's table. Um, and but so we don't I want we don't want that. Beauty, I, beauty I mean, you're, you're right. We yeah. don't we don't want that. And um, I mean, who did Jesus ever push away from the table? I, I mean, he, he was forcibly seating himself with the worst people. Well, not the worst, but the, the people whose society said were the worst people. Um, the worst people were what the religious leaders who who were pushing away, you know, folks who who they thought were worse than them. And Jesus is like, no, they're they're no worse than you. You know, you're you're kind of all in this together. But we we that's what we want. I mean, we want we want stratification. We don't want a Jesus who levels the playing field and says all are made in the image of God. You know, all are worthy, um, all are sinners, and all are are welcome at the table anyway. Uh, and and this theology of hell and condemnation um, gives perceived leverage for uh, evil people to harm others, and it is it's it's a, it's 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 intentional harm. Uh, the way we hold to this theology and the way we brutalize brutalize people with it um whether we recognize it or not you can be an abuser and not know you're an abuser it's deplorable yeah yeah 
Um, I, I yeah, it, it and it undermines their whole the whole system that they have built, um, which I think is why people don't really want to address the issues that and the holes in that theology. Um, no, because what do they have? It, it just, <laughs> what do we, what do we have without hell? I, I mean, what's what's the alternative to there not being a hell? And I think the reason why a lot of people won't consider this idea that eternal conscious torment, that God may not be sending people to hell, but I think you're right. The reason a lot of people won't consider that as a possibility uh, isn't because they're standing doctrinally on the word of God. I think it's because of the ramifications of them being wrong on this means my neighbor is just as justified as I am. It changes who yeah, we have to love I, and how we have to love. And you know, you bring up a good point. Um, you know, the thief on the cross, right? He didn't. He didn't do anything. Jesus just said, you "I'll see you. Be with me I'll, see you if, I'll see you in a few minutes somewhere else." <laughs> Like what? Um, to me, that that whole story like blows this all up too. It's like he didn't pray a prayer. He didn't have his life together. He just, you know, Jesus just said he could come into paradise. And I, I think, yeah, we miss all. We miss. We miss a lot of that. The the whole grace idea. We miss um, the mercy of God, the love of God. Um, we miss a lot of the character of God by following hell like this and it it, it 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 will destroy your atonement theory um when you address hell it'll it'll destroy your view on um you know the kind of outcast communities of society you know currently the the trans community i think it it will rock how you view that it'll rock how you view the lesbian and gay community um it'll rock your white privilege um you'll you'll start to you'll you'll actually start to become a loving neighbor um instead of worrying about some moral code that you have just created from from thin air that's actually not in scripture at all yeah yeah oh absolutely and i think you you know i was thinking as you were talking what's the what's the one thing that i wish people would do on this and the one thing that i wish people would do on this isn't necessarily lay down their uh, belief in eternal conscious torment or, or hell as a place that God sends people to. What I really wish people would do is just simply open their mind to the idea that they might not fully understand what the Bible does and doesn't say on this topic, you know, and, and read the other side. You know, if, if it's revolutionary to you that the Bible uses four or five different words that we translate as hell, um, you really should understand what those words mean where they're coming from, where they're said, why, why they're said. And I just educate yourself, you know, educate yourself. And at the end of the day, if you still come down as an eternal conscious torment, God's making a judgment and sending sinners to, to, to burn forever in a lake of fire. Well, okay. We'll, we'll find out in the end who's right, but you need to do that. Having an awareness that you really have very little support if any in scripture for that view and you should know what you, you should know what the support is for the alternative 
which isn't saying there is no like a fire. It's just saying you may have misunderstood what what it's there for and who it's designed for and what God's actually going to do on the basis of his character. Yeah. Um, I think you, you mentioned this earlier, but it's the scriptures weren't written to tell us about the afterlife. It was, you know, they were written to reveal God as love um, and how that then that we we as humans live that love out into into the world in which we find ourselves. I mean, that is what the scriptures are, are about. And it's not about, you know, figuring out what the afterlife is like. I mean, the writers weren't concerned. You, you said that they weren't concerned with all of that. And so yet yeah, we've made the scriptures to be that, like what's the afterlife going to be like and, and all of those things. Um, yeah. I, 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 I appreciate the the reformers that they gave everyone a Bible, you know, now we all have a Bible on our devices and um, I appreciate that. But I I do think it was wise back in those days that they they would only read the Bible uh, through the lens of someone who actually knew how to read the Bible and how to study the Bible. Um, through the priest or a, th- a theologian, they had the canon theologians and all of those folks. I, I, so I think it's important too. If I was, you know, as you said, you want to leave people with something, I would say, do not just read the scriptures, you know, on your device. Uh, read the scriptures with help from other people. Um, read the scriptures. You know, you can you can get commentaries at your fingertips. Read the scriptures uh, with with other dialogue partners who, who know the scriptures, who study it. I have so many different translations. So I, you know, I got David Bentley Hart's new Testament to see how he translates those passages on hell and other passages. I got, you know, NT Wright's new Testament translation. Um, I have, you know, the, the ESV, you know, very neo reform translation. I read that. Heretic. I, so I kind of read, <laughs> I, I try to try to read all different translations and then get different views. Uh, I think that's a healthier way of, of doing it um, than just picking up your Bible and, and reading um, without uh, other voices being involved. So I think that's important, especially when it comes to these difficult topics and you ask the question and maybe there's there, I'm sure there's people out there that are like, like, I don't think you have to leave the faith. Like, cause people are like, well, I can't worship a God who would torment people for all of eternity. And so a lot of people leave the faith because of that. And it's like, well, that's not the God of the Bible. That's not the God's there. I think. So I'd encourage you to ask those questions, uh, to read, deeper to read further to see what others might be saying about that same question because that's that's a huge i think jacked theology question yeah and i'm asking know. and i don't think yeah i was just i was just I gonna say and, and let's want be people honest. To throw the baby out of the bathwater yeah yeah well you know i i mean the belief in hell is not a requirement for orthodoxy you know i i mean when we're talking about salvific faith um and being in the kingdom of god this is, this is not one of the, the top three, four, five doctrines that are a requirement. No matter what anybody tells you, this is not, you know, this is, um, we've, we've made it too important. Not that it's unimportant, but it's it's not, where, where you fall on this one is not keeping people in or out of the kingdom of God. There's no indication of that in scripture that it does either. 
Correct. Correct. Well, it's been good. That's all I got today. Yeah, this has been good. Um, I don't know what's <laughs> what's next time. I don't know. You'll have to have to figure it out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
who does this? Who would you suggest? So it was so nice. They, they emailed me back and said, by far the best coach uh, in the area for doing this. And, and they gave me the name of the guy. So reached out to him and in contact with him. Uh, yeah, so it, it, it actually was far less than I thought it would cost to do it, but I, if, you know, I think anytime you do something like that, the cost is in <laughs> the price you pay physically, you know, controlling yourself and walking the process of nutrition changes and workout changes and all of that. But, uh, but I'm excited. We'll see. I don't, you know, don't know when it will happen. Don't know the timetable of when I'll be able to, to do it, but, but being able to start the conversation is, it's kind of fun. So we'll see, we'll see where it goes. That's cool. Well, in that world, a lot of those guys are on the gear, as they say. So. Yeah, yeah, they, they are. They're on the gear. You know, at my age, 50 years old, you know, or 50 and 45, I'm like, you know, I'm not trying to uh, I'm not trying to look like any of these any of these guys. I, I realize I'm going to be in the master's division. I just figured I should probably mark this off of the bucket list before I was like needing a cane to get out on the, on the, <laughs> on the platform and where it depends, you know, underneath the board shorts. <laughs> Here, here's our next competitor. We're wheeling him out in the hospital bed because <laughs> it's now or never, Matt. It's now or never, Matt. <laughs> what would be the IV pose? <laughs> 